0: Hello and welcome to Nothing But The Poem. My name's Sam Tung and I'm the project coordinator at the Scottish Poetry Library. Welcome to this month's Nothing But The Poem, which is on Jory Graham. As ever, we shared poems together online and discussed them, and I wanted to introduce you to some of the ideas that came up and some of the things that we talked about in our Nothing But The Poem session. If you enjoy what you hear today, the Nothing But The Poem sessions are available for friends of the Scottish Poetry Library, which you can inquire as to how to join at reception spl.org.uk. We'd love to have you as a friend. But let's get into some of Jory Graham's work. The way in which nothing but the poem sessions work is that we look at um, a poet's poems and we don't tend to think about their biography too much. One of the ways in which we do this is that we just go straight into the poems. We don't really want to use the poet's biography as an interpretive key. Sometimes people like to equate the poet's life and biography with the poem itself, and that can be beneficial in some respects, but actually it's quite nice to just approach the poems as they sit on the page and as they offer themselves to be read, rather than trying to find the poet's biography in between those lines and in those images. Having said that, I wanted to introduce Dory Graham a little bit this time because there is a sense sometimes that her work is difficult um, and unapproachable, maybe disorientating in some ways. She's had That's one of the kind of common criticisms of of Graham's work is this. She uses a lot of long lines uh, and a lot of pauses and a lot of hyphens. And it's seen as quite cerebral and quite intellectual. She is a distinguished poet, a Pulitzer Prize winner. She's won a lot of different prizes and a Harvard University professor of creative writing. And I'm hoping, I suppose, in this session also to dissuade you from thinking that her work is too heady for um, for you to read to go out and seek her her work out yourself and I think what you'll find as you listen to this is that actually she's very much a poet of the body and of the real material world in which she's very concerned is actually disappearing before our very eyes um, through climate collapse and she's actually really um, an eco-poet of quite um, powerful powerful force so The first poem that we looked at in our group was called full fathom and it is a long poem it's not actually one of her longest she has much longer poems than this but i would like you to bear with me as i read it and as i'm reading just listen in and see which images come up for you which images strike you uh, which ideas stay with you or even what which elements of the kind of musicality of the language that graham uses kind of echo in your ear after the poem is finished. And then I will say a little bit about um, what we discussed in the Nothing But The Poem session. But I'll read the poem first. It's called Full Fathom. Full Fathom and sea swell, hiss of incomprehensible flat, distance, blue long fingered ocean and it's nothing else. Nothing in the above, visible except Water, water and always the white self-destroying bloom of wave break and up close royal and here, on what's left of land, ticking of stays against empty flagpoles, low tide, free day, nothing being memorialised here today. Memories float, yes, over the place, but not memories any of us now among the living possess. Open your hands. Let go the scrap metal with the laughter. Let go the upstairs neighbour you did not protect. They took him away. Let go how frightened you knew he was all along while you went on with your day. Your day overflowing with time and place. They came and got him. There are manners for every kind of event. He stopped reading and looked up when they came in. Didn't anyone tell you you would never feel at home? that there is a form of slavery in everything? And when was it, in your admittedly short life, you were permitted to believe that this lasted forever? Remove your hands from your pockets, take out that laundry list, that receipt for everything you pawned last night, decide whom to blame, stick to your story, exclude expectation of heavenly reward, exclude the milk of human kindness, poisoned from the start yes whoever expected that to be the mistake with all the murderers and miracle workers with the hovering spidery fairy tales kites angels missiles evening papers yellow stars clouds those were houses that are his eyes those were lives that are his eyes those are families those are privacies those are details Those are reparation agreements, summary judgments. Those are multiplications on the face of the earth that are, those are the forests, the coal seams, the carbon sinks that are his, as they turn into carbon sources, his, and the festering wounds that are, and the granary that burned, and the quick blow administered to make it painless, so-called, his eyes, his, yes, his blows his seeds first insertion into this our only soil, and the flower, the cut flower in my bouquet here, made from the walk we took this morning, aimless, as if free, where you asked me to marry you, and the loaf of barley, millet, and wheat I was able, as a matter of course, to bring to the table, fresh baked in life. It's a difficult poem to read. It. Is worth going to the Poetry Foundation website where you can find both of the poems that we're going to discuss today um, and having a look at it on the page just because the way in which it offers itself to the reader um, is one of it does it does make it difficult to read and I think that's part main uh, part of the point it's a difficult um, theme there's a difficult multiple themes that run throughout the, the poem and it should be difficult to read and respond to and assimilate the stuff that Graham is talking about here. You might've heard some pauses and some um, kind of moments where it sounded like I didn't know where to go next. And that's also part of the experience of reading Graham in that she takes you with her along these long lines, and then you do get discombobulated, you do get disorientated, and that is part of her philosophical poetic. That is part of how she wants that experience of lostness to be communicated. When we were reading this in the group, there was this sense amongst us that um, this was a kind of... There was an immensity to this poem, this kind of going out into the sea swell this distance, this blue long fingered ocean, and it's nothing else. There's no horizon here. There's, there's nothing to kind of hang on to. There's no landmarks. And of course, there's a reference there in the title, the full fathom, um, and in one of the lines about, those are houses that were his eyes. Um, there's an echo of the tempest here. Uh, William Shakespeare's The Tempest, and that kind of incomprehensible openness and lostness of the sea and the ocean. One person made the point that it feels like Graham's trying to cram so much into this poem and again that's how it looks on the page. There's a lot of lines, they're they're long lines but there's a lot of words that are um, kind of piled up in the right hand of the margin almost as if the, the poet is trying to communicate that there is so much that needs to be said and it just piles up into a kind of yeah weight there's a weight there there's a kind of it's weighted to the right hand side' there's a and that surprises the reader and surprises you as you look at the poem. It's definitely meant to be read aloud those pauses and those breaks and the hyphens and the spaces force you to read it in in quite different ways and force you to pause in areas and uh spaces that you might not normally pause in language. one of the readers in the group described it the poem as a kind of musical score they read it for us uh, they read it for us out loud and we listened in just as you have and when I asked them afterwards how the poem kind of gave itself to him or, or refused to give itself he mentioned that it it felt more like a musical score than a poem that there was pauses there was high points and low points and it was a kind of that was where, the, where his reading was structured. That was the ways in which his reading was structured. It is disjointed. It builds up in slices. It's kind of a jotting pad, I suppose, in lots of ways. This jotting of these, we travel a, a quite a distance. We travel from this open ocean um, with blooms of wave break. And then we're immediately into this character, this upstairs neighbor that you did not protect and is is taken away and is removed and we don't know who this is we don't know the relationship with the 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 central character of the poet or the the writer or the thinker at the heart of this poem but it goes from the kind of macrocosm that, that this huge incomprehensible flat distance of the ocean brings it right down into this domestic scene almost this upstairs neighbor that you that you don't protect that is taken away and that um, you don't have a relationship with or you have a broken relationship with and this line that when we were reading it that completely um, kind of floored me and perhaps helped me understand the poem a little bit more uh, was the line that there is a form of slavery in everything and I didn't really know what that meant I still don't really know what it means but This kind of philosophical point um, that is also very real and very social, very political and very much an everyday admission that um, there is violence at the heart of everything Uh, in this format really struck me as one of the ways in to try and understand what the poet is perhaps trying to communicate here. Or one of the things that the poet is trying to communicate. Graham is clear eyed about human nature i think we should put it that way and this is kind of what i meant at the the top of the podcast where i said that um she's seen as difficult and cerebral but actually it's very much about the everyday and very much about human relationships and very much about thinking about this neighbor who is your neighbor and that was one of the questions i mean it sounds a bit like a gospel a gospel question in some ways but that who is your neighbor who is the neighbor is Uh, an important question that Graham is, is asking throughout her work. And often in her poems that address animal, different animals or use different um, forms of thinking about neighborliness. And I think that comes through quite a lot in, in a lot of her work, who is your neighbor and what are you supposed to do? And how are you supposed to act in the face of your neighbor? Again, this line that human kindness, the milk of human kindness was poisoned from the start. And that, to me, is a very kind of clear-eyed facing up to things and quite refreshing in some ways. It's not romantic at, many, in, at, at all um, and needs to be thought with. We felt very much that this, this poem had a lot of kind of anger uh, and energy at its heart, um, and that's what propelled these lines forward right down to that final line about the bread being fresh baked in life and in the poem and if you see it on the page in life is the final moment of the poem and seems to be um, not quite a conclusion but definitely a way of containing that immensity in life. There's the immensity. So yes Lots of discussion there on that poem and hopefully you got a taste of that. I think I went off on my own cerebral um, intellectual mode there. But when you listen back, you'll probably be able to hear that a lot of the work and a lot of the images and a lot of the lines that Graham uses, they are very embodied and they are very material. That's why I wanted to also include this second poem, much shorter, and it's called Prayer. I think you'll hear in this poem quite a difference in terms of register um, and perhaps in terms of um, kind of lyric meaning that comes through. But yeah, let me read it to you um, and see how you compare the two. Obviously a poem that's titled Prayer um, is setting up certain readerly expectations and uh, listener expectations. You could do a huge anthology of poems that are titled Prayer. Prayer. Titling your poem Prayer is definitely a kind of gesture to all other poems that are entitled Prayer. There's so many of them. It would be a very substantial anthology if you put that together with poems that were titled Prayer. It can be a shorthand and whether it affects you in in different ways, we'll we'll see how the poem unfolds. So it's called prayer. Over a dock railing I watch the minnows, thousands swirl themselves, each a minuscule muscle, but also without the way to create current, making of their unison, turning, re enfolding, entering and exiting their own unison in unison, making of themselves a visual current one that cannot freight or sway by minutest fractions the water's downdrafts and upswirls. The dockside cycles of finally arriving boat wakes, there where they hit deeper resistance, water that seems to burst into itself, it has those layers. A real current, though mostly invisible, sending into the visible, minnows, arrowing motion that forces change. This is freedom. This is the force of faith. Nobody gets what they want. Never again are you the same. The longing is to be pure. What you get is to be changed. More and more by each glistening minute through which infinity threads itself, also oblivion, of course, the aftershocks of something at sea. Here, hands full of sand, letting it sift through in the wind, I look in and say, take this. This is what I have saved. Take this. Hurry. And if I listen now, Listen, I was not saying anything. It was only something I did. I could not choose words. I am free to go. I cannot, of course, come back. Not to this. Never. It is a ghost posed on my lips. Here. Never. So this poem was an interesting one um, in terms of the debate uh, and discussion that it engendered. We very much thought that it was a kind of game of two halves as it were it um there's the you probably heard as I was reading it the first half or so of the poem is one sentence it just keeps going it just um flows literally flows and takes that watery watching of the of the minnows as they freight or sway in the water's downdrafts and upswells and the rhythm of the poem takes you into that It washes you through, it washes over you and you washed into it, this quicksilver kind of moment and this flash of life and also references the poet's own thought processes, this kind of flow of thought, like the minnows, like these thousands of quicksilver fish who are creating their own current, as it were. Well, they they can't create their current, but they're making of themselves a visual current, it says the poet the poem says and that there's a kind of motion that is in that's brought up by all of these minnows swimming and i suppose this is where the prayer title kind of sets up a kind of um, echo of perhaps matthew arnold's sea of faith poem from the 19th century thinking about the that the sea has this kind of almost stock metaphor of of, of faith now as it's, it's this kind of ocean of faith this sea of faith but here the the poem is kind of interrogating this a lot more and actually that where is this motion this arrowing motion coming from and for me when i was listening in the group and, and discussing it i loved that um shift that change from the the minnows uh, and the very visual material kind of poetics of that into this big philosophical switch into this is freedom. This is the force of faith and nobody gets what they want. And I kind of liked the humor of that as well in some ways. It kind of, as much as the poem sets up this big abstract um, philosophical thesis, this is the force of faith. It kind of undermines it straight away with nobody gets what they want Um, and what you get is to be changed and then it gets into this kind of confusion of um, the uh, the lyric address this this i that says take this this is what i have saved and then is addressing somebody or something and it's confusing we're back into the, that kind of confusion as to who where, who is this poem addressing and what is your response so yeah in in the sense of the two poems, I'd like, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're still listening, it would be nice to think about where, how these two poems work together. Again, going to the Poetry Foundation website is a good one to actually see it on the page and, and compare and contrast them. And I think what you might find is that whether you like the poems, whether you like the, the way in which these lines work, these long lines work, or these, these shorter, more punchy lines, you will get something out of them, whether you want to kind of balance that philosophical charge with the very kind of um, materialist focus I think that will that works really well the way again like with nothing but the poem I choose I choose the poet for on a number of factors really this one was particularly because I've just got jory Graham's latest collection which is called to the last be human and um, which is actually um, brings together four of her uh, four of her collections that were published in the in, the, in this, this, this century, 21st century, she's been publishing for a wee while. And I like to take them to the group, to the Nothing But The Poem group, and see how they are read by other people. And that's how I build my own interpretations of these poems on this discussion. And I can go back to Jory Graham's work with all of the discussion ringing in my ears and think more about how um, the poems work and how they affect me. So yeah, that was a wee dip into two poems by Jory Graham. I hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to have your opinions heard and um, make yourself um, felt and um, heard by reading these poems and reading poems together, join us as a friend and you can join in with the Nothing But The Poem group. um, And I'd like to hear what you think of our next...